Due to the graphic nature of this case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. My lady did seem agitated this morning. I've never seen a noblewoman dismiss her servant so quickly. Lady Dudley just wanted some peace. You would too if your husband was the favorite of a queen. That's idle gossip. Maybe. But at the heart of every rumor, there is a seedling of truth. Lady Dudley is a great deal more beautiful than the queen. I don't see how he could leave her, unless he has fallen out of love. Hmm. They say even worse than that, I'm afraid. Is Lady Dudley's life in danger? It may be. Though whether it's from herself or another, it's hard to say. My lady, we're back from the fair. Do you desire anything? (gasps) My lady, she's not moving. Fetch the doctor. I fear she's broken her neck. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unsolved Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. This is our first episode on the mysterious death of Amy Robsart, the wife of Lord Robert Dudley, who some historians believe is the only man Queen Elizabeth I ever loved. This week, we'll look at Amy and Robert's marriage and how Robert's flirtation with the young queen raised eyebrows all over court until tragedy struck in the year 1560. Next week, we'll examine the strange circumstances surrounding Amy's death, the investigation that left many questions unanswered, and the reason historians still aren't sure 400 years later whether her deadly fall was truly an accident. By the summer of 1560, 26-year-old Queen Elizabeth had only been England's monarch for two years. During that time, the single queen entertained a half-dozen marriage proposals, but no man interested her as much as Lord Robert Dudley. He was tall, handsome, athletic, and brilliant. He was a catch for any woman. Except for one thing, he was already married. 28-year-old Lord Robert Dudley had married 28-year-old Amy Robsart when they were both 17. While he and Queen Elizabeth carried on what seemed to be a heated affair, Amy lived miles away in the country, out of sight and out of mind. Until September 8, 1560, when she was discovered dead. Servants found her at the bottom of a staircase, her neck broken. But there were no other marks on her body, and the staircase she tumbled down was said to be less than a dozen steps high. An inquest ruled Amy's death an accident, but questions still lingered about how Amy actually fell, 
and Robert Dudley's reputation was ruined. Throughout his life, people whispered that he had tried to kill his wife. Her death still raises eyebrows 400 years later. Amy Robsart was born on June 7, 1532, the only child of Sir John Robsart and Elizabeth Appleyard. Both John and Elizabeth came from wealthy backgrounds and lived in the rural but influential district of Norfolk, England. Sir John was Justice of the Peace and later Sheriff. He was also a prominent landowner. Amy seems to have received a formal education, but we know little else about her early life. As the only heir to a prosperous landowner, it's likely that she grew up comfortable and doted upon. She was raised Protestant, and as she grew into her teens, she was said to be very beautiful. Amy likely first laid eyes on her future husband at the age of 17 in August of 1549. That summer, an armed rebellion broke out in Norfolk over the practice of land enclosure. More and more land was being brought and made into private property by members of the landed gentry, leaving itinerant shepherds with nowhere to graze their sheep. With wool as the country's most profitable commodity, the rebellion grew quickly. Within weeks, the crown had a crisis on its hands. The monarch at the time, King Edward VI, was only 12 years old, so his closest advisors sent one of their own to fight the rebels, John Dudley, otherwise known as the Earl of Warwick. He'd spent years rising through the ranks of the king's court and gaining a reputation of honor. The Earl of Warwick was devoted to the new king and committed to putting down the rebellion. To help him, he brought along his son, Robert. Robert Dudley was tall and strikingly handsome, with dark hair, heavy-lidded eyes, and an impressive physique. On the night of August 22, 1549, Robert and his father made their way to the Robsart's home to stay the night. Father, who is that man at the end of the table, sitting next to the Earl of Warwick? You mean that boy at the end of the table? That's Warwick's son, Robert. I think he's about your age, Amy. Would you like me to introduce you? No. Why not? Because it's embarrassing. But... Please, Father, I beg you, don't. <sighs> My goodness. Warwick and his sons went on to defeat the rebels that summer, which brought Warwick even more acclaim at the court of Edward VI. Though we don't know the details, at some point during the following months, Amy Robsart and Robert Dudley were introduced, and not long after, they fell in love. On June 4, 1550, they married at the Palace of Sheen. Both were still only 17, quite young even for the times. The marriage on its face was a step down for Robert. His father was a close advisor to the king. This meant Robert could have married the daughter of a man more prominent than Sir John Robsart, who was only Sheriff of Norfolk. Because of this, we can deduce that Robert and Amy married for love, or rather, sex. William Cecil, who later became Queen Elizabeth's Secretary of State, called it a carnal marriage. To Cecil, a carnal marriage based on sexual attraction was a recipe for disaster. As he famously wrote years later, Carnal marriages begin in joy and end in weeping. The scrutiny of others aside, the Dudleys appear to have been very happy together. Robert settled into country life, while his father, the Earl of Warwick, continued his rise at court. 
Eventually, the Earl made himself the Duke of Northumberland, one of the highest-ranking titles a non-royal had ever held. As the Duke's son, Robert was virtually guaranteed an important position at court as well. Some historians believe that he spent time there as a child, playing with King Edward and his half-sister Elizabeth. Then, in 1551, a year after his marriage, Robert made his own inroads into court as an adult. He was made a gentleman of the king's privy chamber, which was a fancy way of saying that he was now part of the king's inner circle. Robert also made sure to show up to all the court's equestrian events. An accomplished horseman, Robert dazzled the crowds at jousts and tilts. After his many displays of martial skill, he was made one of the organizers of the king's hunting parties. By 1552, the king made him keeper of Somerset Place, one of the most beautiful palaces in London. By 1553, Robert was on track to become nearly as influential as his father. Robert, you've done well. Now, listen to my words of advice. Father, please, you're not an old man. Stay close to your king. Make your sovereign your only moral compass. I will, father. But the king is still just a boy. When the king is of age, he won't forget you. I promise you. But the king never did come of age. On July 6th, 1553, King Edward VI died of consumption. He was only 15. Before his death, Edward made one key decision, and it left England in turmoil. He named his Protestant cousin, 16-year-old Lady Jane Grey, as his successor, not his Catholic older half-sister, Mary Tudor, who was next in line for the throne. It was a shocking move. Edward had flouted the rules of succession for religious reasons, Mary was a Catholic, Edward was a Protestant, and didn't want to see the Pope once again assume power over England. But it's possible that Robert's father, the Duke of Northumberland, had a hand in convincing Edward to make his decision. He'd married his youngest son to Lady Jane Grey just two months before Edward died. Whatever the reason may have been, the news left the country reeling. Robert's father instructed him to capture Mary at her country residence and bring her to London before she could raise an army. But when Robert got to Mary's Norfolk estate, he realized he was too late. Lord Dudley, sir, she's not at home. What do you mean? She's gone. They say she's fled to the Duke of Norfolk's at Framlingham. She's assembling her own army as we speak. Then let this be a lesson to the Catholics. Ransack and burn the house on my orders. He and his men set fire to Mary's residence, Sawston Hall. But public opinion turned against Lady Jane Grey, and on July 19, 1553, Mary was proclaimed the rightful queen. Lady Grey was taken to the tower, and so were her biggest supporters, the Dudleys, Robert, his brothers, and their father, the Duke of Northumberland. On August 22, 1553, the Duke was beheaded. Robert stayed in the tower, left to wonder if he would be next. Fate would spare his life, but not his marriage. Coming up, 
Robert and Amy Dudley encounter the ultimate other woman, Queen Elizabeth I. And now, back to the story. In July of 1553, Robert Dudley was carted off to the tower for treason. He'd been part of his father's efforts to place Lady Jane Grey on the throne over Mary Tudor. For the next 18 months, he was confined to a small cell. He watched as his father and then his brother were decapitated. The only bright spots in his life were visits from his wife, Amy. My lord. My love. Mm. How are they treating you? You look so thin. Are you eating? Do they feed you? Yes, yes. Oh, it is so good to look upon your face. I'm so worried, my lord. I've been trying to get news. I miss you. You are so beautiful, my dear. I think about you, about us, about the life we'll have when this is over. Are we... are we alone? I've paid the watchman. He won't come back all afternoon. Come here. Be near me. Give me the will to get through this. Robert was finally released in October of 1554. Only 22 years old, he likely felt much, much older. He was broke, without a home, and would be known as a traitor for the rest of his life. Queen Mary ultimately pardoned him, but it was cold comfort. Now he had to start all over at a court that would never entirely trust him. Amy must have been happy at the prospect of seeing more of her husband, but Robert spent much of the following two years out of the country, fighting the French on behalf of King Philip II of Spain, who had become Queen Mary's husband. We know from a letter Amy wrote in 1557 that she was beginning to feel the strain of so much time alone. Yet, through it all, the Dudleys soldiered on. Robert planned to eventually return to Norfolk, buy a home there and settle down, and finally have children. But fate had other plans. In November of 1558, 42-year-old Queen Mary I died of cancer. The woman who succeeded her was her 25-year-old half-sister, Elizabeth. Elizabeth was the daughter of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn. She was everything Mary wasn't. Young, headstrong, charismatic, and a Protestant. And innately regal. The Spanish ambassador, Duke de Feria, described Elizabeth this way in a letter in 1558. She seems to me incomparably more feared than her sister, and gives her orders and has her way as absolutely as her father did. She is determined to be governed by no one. On November 17, 1558, Elizabeth handed out duties to the men who would make up her inner circle. Robert Dudley was one of them. It's not clear exactly when Robert and Elizabeth renewed their acquaintance as adults, but it seems as though the two were already friends by the time Elizabeth became queen. In fact, both had been imprisoned by Mary in the tower. But historians doubt that the two were ever in touch during that time. What is known is that the new queen gave Robert an important job at her court, Master of the Horse. It may sound like a minor job, but it was a high honor. More than that, it kept the two in close proximity to one another almost every day. If the queen went riding or hunting, the master of the horse went with her. And 
the queen loved to go riding. By the spring of 1559, advisors noticed that 26-year-old Robert and 26-year-old Elizabeth had a special relationship. He could make the famously prickly queen laugh. They had private jokes and seemed to forget other people were in the same room when they were near each other. He frequently played music for her. They loved to dance together as often as possible, and Elizabeth even had a pet name for Robert. She called him My Eyes. The two went riding together at least once a day. My lady, your hunting skills are as good as any man's. (laughs) That may be so, but they still aren't on a par with yours, my lord. Shall we tarry here a moment? I treasure this hour we have, you and I. It is what I look forward to most in my day. You flatter me. I am merely doing what my job commands. Though, I must admit, I look forward to these moments as well. (laughs) To be with your queen? To be with my friend. At first, people tried to ignore the obvious sparks between the two. After all, Robert Dudley was a married man. But then, as the attraction deepened, the Queen's closest advisors became worried. Not only was Robert married, he was distracting the Queen from her most important job, finding an eligible husband, a king. Her Secretary of State, William Cecil, could hardly think of anything else. Your Majesty, you must set your mind to making a match. Cecil, not again. It is of the utmost urgency. There is no obvious heir if you die. You must produce a child if the House of Tudor is to continue. A child is just the first step toward being overthrown. Or worse, beheaded. But you are a maid of 25. Don't you want a husband? As any woman does? Your Majesty. Yes, Lord Dudley? I came to see if you're ready to ride. I have the new gelding saddled. Your Majesty, we have to finish this discussion. We shall, Cecil. Later. Even Parliament tried to convince Elizabeth that it was time to marry. In February of 1559, just one month after her coronation, the House of Commons presented her with a formal petition. It declared that she needed to marry and that for her to remain a vestal virgin would be the country's undoing. Elizabeth answered in a remarkable way. She said that she already had a husband, the nation of England. She then went on to say that she would do as God directed her. She had never wanted to get married, but she wouldn't rule out the possibility if she found the right man. If she didn't, She thought it possible that God would be pleased for her to stay single. Parliament was taken aback, and William Cecil, her closest advisor, only doubled down. He was determined for Elizabeth to marry, and he felt Robert Dudley was getting in the way. Cecil wasn't the only one who noticed what was developing. On April 18, 1559, the Spanish ambassador de Feria wrote to King Philip of Spain. Lord Robert has come so much into favor that he does whatever he likes with affairs. It is even said that Her Majesty visits him in his chamber day and night. 
people talk of this so freely that they go so far as to say that his wife has a malady in one of her breasts, and that the queen is only waiting for her to die to marry Lord Robert. In the following weeks, this rumor intensified. In May of 1559, the Venetian ambassador wrote to the Italian Senate. Many people believe that if his wife, who has been ailing for some time, were perchance to die, the queen might easily take him as a husband. It was a vicious rumor. Today, we have no hard and fast evidence that Amy was suffering from breast cancer or any other terminal illness. In fact, Amy moved at least four times between the fall of 1558 and the spring of 1559, always staying with friends until, we assume, Robert could provide her with her own home. This wasn't all that unusual. Many members of the court kept their wives in the country. The queen encouraged it. It was cheaper. And frankly, the queen preferred to have all of her lord's attention. Even if he couldn't be with her, Robert made sure to provide for Amy's needs. He sent her gifts and took care to keep her in a certain lifestyle. He also paid visits to her on a few occasions, though these likely weren't quite the romantic reunions Amy might have hoped for. My lord, what troubles you? Troubles me. The way you stare out the window? As if there's somewhere else you'd rather be? My mind is on the horses at court. You have barely looked at me in three days. Do I displease you, my lord? No. Do you not want to touch me anymore? Amy, please. That was always one thing that I never thought would leave us. And with all of this distance, I thought that for sure... I must go. So soon? My lord, I am your wife. Doesn't that mean anything? Sometimes a man must keep to himself, for the good of his country. Or the good of his sovereign? Ugh. During the summer of 1559, Amy was hosted by a member of Robert's inner circle, a man named Sir Richard Verney. Her husband turned more and more of his attention toward the queen. He had to. She was being courted by every single king, prince, and archduke across Europe. She juggled marriage proposals and serious interest from Ferdinand II, the Archduke of Austria, King Eric of Sweden, King Philip II of Spain, who was previously her brother-in-law, and some English nobles. She turned all of them down. Her reasons weren't only about Robert. Each of her suitors posed a particular problem of religion or potential backlash from her subjects. She also wasn't eager to give up her singular power. It's also possible that the queen preferred the company of a man who she knew she never really could have. She could enjoy their sizzling physical chemistry without ever having to submit to him as an obedient wife. But by turning down all of her suitors, the rumors about Elizabeth and Robert became even more damaging. People saw the two of them laughing, whispering, and staring into each other's eyes. Well, many suspected the two weren't just in love, but sleeping together. When the queen gave Robert a suite of rooms near hers at Whitehall Palace, gossip went into overdrive. Robert's reputation suffered as well. By the fall of 1559, he'd become the most hated man at court. People resented the power and influence he had with the queen. William Cecil especially couldn't stand Robert. He remembered that Robert was a Dudley and came from a long line of men executed for treason. He greatly suspected 
that Robert was only out for his own selfish interests. He wasn't entirely wrong. Robert was profiting nicely from his friendship with the Queen. By November of 1559, she'd appointed him a Knight of the Garter and Constable of Windsor Castle. He had access to the Queen whenever he wanted, and was directing her behind the scenes on foreign policy. If he was aware that people hated his proximity to Elizabeth, he didn't seem to care. Perhaps he should have. The Austrian ambassador, Baron Brunner, wrote that Robert was so disliked, it was a marvel that he had not been slain long before this. The highest-ranking member of court, the Duke of Norfolk, held Robert personally responsible when the Queen turned down the Archduke of Austria for marriage in the fall of 1559. The Archduke had been regarded as the most suitable prospect, yet Robert still stood in his way. Even the Queen's chief lady-in-waiting, Catherine Ashley, begged Elizabeth to marry somebody else to put the damaging rumors regarding her chastity to rest. My lady, forgive my impudence, but I must speak to you. Yes, Mrs. Ashley? I have known you since you were just a babe, so you know what I am about to say is for your own benefit. Yes, Mrs. Ashley. The most scurrilous rumors are making their way around court. I beseech you, please take a husband and put an end to the gossip about you and Lord Dudley. I live my life in the open. I am never alone, but surrounded by witnesses at all times. Indeed, there are a dozen ladies of my bedchamber who could attest to anything dishonorable. But my lady, it doesn't matter. There is still talk, and it could provoke a civil war. If I've shown favor to Lord Dudley, it's because he deserves it. In this world, I have much sorrow and tribulation, and so little joy. I will not give him up. Tensions were at an all-time high. The Queen seemed determined to court scandal, and amidst all of the swirling rumors, a new one emerged. Robert Dudley was trying to poison his wife. Coming up, we'll hear more about the plot against Amy Robsart and the strange circumstances that led to her death. And now, back to the story. In November of 1559, Lord Robert Dudley and Queen Elizabeth I had become inseparable. During the summer, the Queen had toured the country on horseback, riding beside Robert by day and being entertained at banquets beside him all night. Now they seemed closer than ever, and courtiers whispered that the two were having a sexual relationship. It seemed only logical that the two would try to marry, except... Robert was already married. It seemed he would only become available if his wife Amy Robsart died. Gossip mongers pieced these threads together, and an even more inflammatory rumor than premarital coitus spread throughout court. On November 13, 1559, the new Spanish ambassador, Bishop de la Quadra, wrote to King Philip. He shared with him what an unknown but trusted source had told him in confidence. Dudley had arranged for his wife to be poisoned. The rumor spread like wildfire. The Spanish and Austrian ambassadors were only too happy to keep each other abreast of the latest developments. Ambassador de la Quadra, any news? No, 
just that it appears that the Queen had no intention of accepting any of her proposals, Baron Brunner. We've all been wasting our time. Surely she can't be expecting to marry Lord Dudley. What else can we assume? So it's true. He means to poison his wife. That is what I've heard tell. And the Queen is simply waiting for the deed to be done. But surely the Queen doesn't know about the plot. Or does she? On December 5th, 1559, Baron Brunner wrote to the Austrian Emperor to share what he'd heard, that Queen Elizabeth was in on the plot to kill Robert Dudley's wife. But Brunner was also quick to add that the love between the Queen and Robert appeared innocent. He couldn't find any hard and fast evidence that the two were sleeping together. During all of this gossip-mongering, Amy herself was in the midst of another move. She'd been staying with a friend 200 miles away from London in Warwickshire. In December 1559, 27-year-old Amy moved to Cumnor Place, the home of one of her husband's friends, Sir Anthony Forrester. Cumnor Place was about three miles outside of Oxford. Amy moved in with her maid, Mrs. Picto, and four other servants. She also brought Elizabeth Odingsells, her 41-year-old companion. As a result, the house was a little crowded, given that there were already a handful of people living there, including an elderly woman named Mrs. Owen. We don't know much about Amy's life at Cumnor for the first half of 1560, but we can assume that she spent her days sewing, taking walks, and of course, waiting for word from her husband. Strangely, Robert never went to visit her in Cumnor Place. He seemed content to let other people keep Amy company, and it appears that the two had an understanding. His courtly duties took precedence over his marriage, as long as it lasted. The rumors of poisoning eventually died down. But in March of 1560, another piece of gossip bubbled to the surface. How does the suit go of the Queen, Lord Dudley? Has she submitted to your charms? <laughs> go ahead, laugh. Soon you won't find things so funny. And why is that? Because in a year's time, I'll be in a very different position from now. Is that right? Will your wife suddenly disappear? <laughs> this is England. There is such a thing as divorce. De La Quadra wrote to the King of Spain, informing him that Robert Dudley meant to divorce his wife. Yet even as this rumor was put into writing, we have no evidence that would suggest this was actually true. And in July of 1560, in the district of Essex, Far away from court, a woman named Annie Dow was spreading perhaps the most shocking rumor of all. Elizabeth and Robert Dudley had a love child. My Lord Robert and the Queen have played together a sleight of hand. And what is that, you say? He is the father of her child. But she has no child. No, but they have put one to making. <gasps> Annie Dow was promptly arrested and sent to prison, but the story was out and spread like wildfire. It was later said that Elizabeth mothered any number of children, though there is no evidence to suggest she had any children whatsoever. Still, Elizabeth and Robert grew even closer during the summer of 1560. After narrowly avoiding war with the French, Elizabeth relaxed on horseback, 
and Robert was constantly by her side. Every day, the two took part in a hunt, and every night, they sat together at a lavish banquet given by whatever noble house was hosting them for the evening. It was as if the two were already a married couple. Anyone who saw them during the summer of 1560 assumed they were lovers, including Elizabeth's advisor, William Cecil. The Queen's Secretary of State arrived back in England in July 1560 after a two-month trip to Scotland. His stomach sank when he saw what was going on. My lady, it's an honor to be in your presence again. And Lord Dudley. (laughs) Hello, Cecil. My lady, I have much news to bring you from Scotland. (laughs) My lady, I beg your attention. Oh, Cecil, forgive me. Can we speak another time? As you can see, I'm indisposed at the moment. (laughs) Cecil walked away from the meeting, furious and depressed. He could tell that in his absence, things between Dudley and the Queen had possibly gone too far. Any and all influence he'd had with her was gone. Dudley had taken his place. 39-year-old William Cecil felt like a failure. He'd been powerless to prevent the worst from happening. Elizabeth had turned away all of her suitors and seemed dead set on marrying a traitor who would probably stage a coup and usurp her power. Plus, she had ruined her reputation at home and abroad. Cecil told friends he was preparing to resign. He wasn't the only one who felt defeated. There is evidence that in early September 1560, Amy Robsart fell into a depression. We don't know why Amy was depressed. Well, it's very possible that she'd heard the rumors concerning her husband and the Queen. Whatever the case, we do know that years later, in 1584, a story surfaced that Amy's housemates were concerned about Amy being sad and heavy. They'd apparently written to a local physician and asked him to prescribe her some medicine, but he'd refused. His reason? He'd heard the rumors, too, and he was afraid that he'd be accused of trying to kill her. If the local doctor had heard this story, then it's safe to assume that Amy had heard it, too. Even stranger, on Saturday, September 7, 1560, the Queen's 27th birthday, Elizabeth made an odd remark to the Spanish ambassador. She told him in confidence that Robert Dudley's wife was dead, or nearly so, and she asked him to keep it to himself. The ambassador assumed that Amy's long-rumored illness was finally about to claim her life. He said nothing at the time. But again, we have no evidence that Amy was sick and near death. If she were, it seems unusually cruel that Robert would have stayed away from her for almost a year. The next day, Sunday, September 8th, Amy awoke early. Her servants noticed that she was agitated and not herself. I would like everyone in the house to please spend the day at the fair in Abingdon. It is a fine day, and I have no need of anyone. So please, go. Now! Mrs. Odingsells, don't you want to be out and about on a fine day such as this? Forgive me, Lady Dudley, but I'd rather not. Sunday isn't a day for gentlewomen. Tomorrow would be much better. What say you, Mrs. Owen? I agree with Mrs. Odingsells. 
I'll stay. I entreat you both to go. I'd rather stay, my lady. Fine. Poor dear. That afternoon, only Mrs. Owen and Mrs. Odingsell stayed in the house with Amy. They were served their lunch at 11 a.m., but afterwards, everyone went their separate ways and seemed to stay in their rooms. When the servants returned late that afternoon, they made an appalling discovery. At the bottom of a staircase lay the body of 28-year-old Amy Robsart. She had fallen and broken her neck, but otherwise, there wasn't a mark on her. It seemed too strange to be a coincidence. As the investigation went on, Robert Dudley found himself engulfed by suspicion, frozen out by the Queen, and isolated in the court that he'd worked so hard to dominate. Everyone wanted to know, had he finally succeeded in killing his wife? Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with part two of Amy Robsart. We'll see how the investigation into Amy's death uncovered more questions than answers. Questions we're still trying to answer 400 years later. For more information on Amy Robsart, amongst the many sources we used, we found Alison Weir's The Life of Elizabeth I and Chris Skidmore's Death and the Virgin Queen extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Unsolved Murders for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unsolved Murders on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. If we live to next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Joanna Philbin, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Rebecca Aarons Diamond, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Austin, Harris Markson, Kathleen Nielsen, and Dan Velasquez. It stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. 